This is Mind Wars. I'm Chris Ryan, and on today's show, I got good friend of mine, Zahi. Zahi grew up in the Iraq Iran War, and uh, he's now living the dream down under in Australia. Zahi is also the host of the MCC podcast, which stands for Modern Christian Collective. And that's how we actually met, was uh, through the podcasting itself. So, uh, Zahi, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here, man. No, it's good to have you here. Um, first thing I want to ask you is, obviously, the current situation uh, down under. How are things going on over there? Because you hear lots of stories over the last couple of months between the mainstream media, the alternative media. Um, I have family in parts of Australia myself, and there's all different stories going around. We know the brutality that went on in uh, Victoria. Um, as far as I know, it's been eased, but still not completely out of lockdown. And in the past couple of weeks, I've got loads of videos and, and stories from people in Southern Australia that they said they're going into a very harsh lockdown in there at the moment. But tell us, you're on the ground itself over there. Um, what's, what's the situation over there? Um, well, we're, we're quite fortunate because we live in a regional part of Australia on the coastline on the beach, about three hours uh, from Sydney. And, uh, you know, we've been very fortunate in the sense that we've never really gone through. I mean, we went through lockdown, I think, like everyone around the world did when uh, COVID first hit. Uh, we were, everyone's out of action for about six to eight weeks. But since then, I mean, you know, nobody really wears masks where I live, which is really good. Uh, and, that, and you kind of stand out if you do wear masks. Um, but currently there's a, there's a little bit of a cluster and a hotspot in Sydney. You know, so they're talking about having a bit of a, um, whatever you call it, a lockdown for a couple of weeks in Sydney. But generally speaking, the, the state of New South Wales has been fantastic, mostly, even in Sydney, up until uh, recently. So, um, you know, life has been pretty close to normal as you can get uh, where we are, which we're very fortunate. We all know, as you said about Victoria, what happened down there. Uh, that's, that's a bit of a mess, but I think they're getting back to some form of normality down there as well. And why do you feel that's been hit so hard in Victoria? Because a lot of the, you know, so-called death rates or case and all that are minimal um, compared to why are they getting so hit so much compared to other parts of Australia? Is there any particular reason you've heard on the ground over there? Yeah, I think it's mainly based on the government. You know, um, in Australia, we have uh, premiers instead of governors for our states. So the premier of Victoria was under huge criticism for his extreme levels of lockdown you know he he was and it just got worse and worse and worse and uh and unfortunately like a lot of places in the world the people just complied the people just put up with it and uh, accepted it i mean there was there was the minority that were speaking out against it but obviously the news made the media made them out to be the conspiracist and uh you know all, all that crap yeah but um yeah he was just he's just a very extreme he just took extreme measures He's, he's also, yeah, I mean, it, it's fascism nearly on a whole new scale in one sense. Yeah. And a lot of people have said is um, he's massive ties to China as well, because he sold off an awful lot of uh, Australian areas as well and uh, sources to, to the Chinese uh, government, Chinese Communist Party, pretty much. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I spent a um, bit of time studying body languages and I didn't spend too much time watching his interviews, but when I watched his interviews, you could tell... Uh, you, his body language was saying that he was lying uh, and that it was, he was in pain from what I saw, just, just studying his body language because, and, and you know, when you, when you tell a lie and when you, when you feel a lot of guilt and hurt, it, it hurts when you speak of it. That's what I saw when I was watching his interviews. Yeah. yeah I, he's definitely, he definitely got close ties to China. 
Yeah, massively. I mean, I lived over in Australia myself probably about, I don't know, over 10 years ago or, or yeah, about 10 years ago for a while, a little over 10 years. And um, right. yeah, it was back in, had to be precise, 2008, 2009, that kind of time when we actually had to crash in Ireland, uh, be it September, I think 2008, I got announced in Ireland. I think I left in July. It's like I knew something was happening. So uh, <laughs> I skipped for a bit and uh, worked over in Aussie for a while. I worked along the um, Sydney, Gold Coast. I lived in the Surfer Paradise for a couple of months as well. Right, um, yeah, so, there. yeah, you know, a beautiful, beautiful area. Um, mm. But um, it's it's interesting that um, when I was over there as well, that 10 plus years ago was, you know, a lot of the mining, all that kind of work, construction as well. People are telling me back then, I'm sure still today as well, that massive, massive amounts of um, Australia itself, the, the booms and all that got, that goes on over there. Because Australia in general, it never really gets hit with a bad, bad recession. It gets touched no. a small bit, gets glanced off, and then it kind of moves on again. But they said a lot of that is because of the Chinese investment. Um, oh, big, yeah. Through the mining, is it's, you know, and is it getting worse in the sense that the ownership, because I know one of the rules they had backed in for one particular company that spent billions and billions um, out in the mines investing, that the fair play to the Australians for that particular contract, they said that if we are selling you um, this, this um, contract, basically, out in the mines area, they said one of the, now there's a whole contractual agreement on it, but one of the particular uh, points that stood out to me was that they said, if you are, this is 70% of that workforce has to be Australian which is good because in no other countries, they just go sell it off and you can bring over as many as you want. And all of a sudden it could be only five or 10% of the actual workforce yeah. of the people that's in that country. So that was one positive point, but how has that moved on since? <laughs> well, you're right. That, I mean, in terms of employment, they've generally gone for Australians, which is a positive part, mm. but where the government federal and in particular at the state level have been extremely weak is selling off land and uh, really important parts of different states to the Chinese. You know, I mean, there was a premier, I grew up in Queensland, which is north of where I live now, you know, near Surface Paradise, Gold Coast and those areas. And uh, when I was there, the premier there, my goodness, she just sold off even parts of the Bay, Great Barrier Reef, uh, which was astounding. Uh, so many different ports where, you know, major manufacturing happens, sold all them off. And uh, yeah, so China owned a lot of Australia, which is really unfortunate. Um, they, they're, they're responsible for, you know, some property crashes that happen because, um, you know, there's no limitations on how many they can buy in cities like Melbourne. You know, Melbourne yeah. went through a real bad um, uh, oversupply in terms of the city because uh, the Chinese were buying out all their apartments there. And even now China own uh, a military base just north of Darwin, Northern Territory, which, you know, it's again, I mean, you just wouldn't read about it. No, they pretty much have you over a barrel. Yeah. 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 It's And just to finish in the Australian situation was um, a couple of weeks back, they were talking about the vaccine that was in Australia. Apparently they found HIV in it. Yeah. How was that I story? Start then? HIV. <laughs> yes. I'll roll up my sleeve. I'm there straight away. <laughs> it's, a two, it's a two for one deal. COVID and uh, HIV. Yeah, yeah, the alleged COVID, yeah, sound. <laughs> but no, I mean, I at least, uh, yeah, at least that put it off, which was I was happy about. Yeah. And uh, you know, I had I had my father on my own podcast uh, a few weeks back, and you know, he he spent his pretty much his entire life studying human disease. And he's a biochemist. Uh, they looked at vaccines for animals and even humans, and you know, my father said himself, you're, you're looking at nine nine to ten years before 
realistically creating a, a effective vaccine. Mm. And he, he even gave the flu as an example. Uh, the flu came out in the, you know, the Spanish flu and even the flu after that. And they developed a vaccine over 80 years ago and still not effective. So it, it, again, why, why this whole talk about vaccines and in, in, in such a rush? Uh, my father, along with many, many scientists around the world, uh, and he's part of different associations in Australia and America, um, they know that it's, it's not right and it's, it's so rushed. Mm, no, deadly. And I, I don't know why anyone would want to be in such a hurry to go down and, and get it. I mean, here in the UK alone, you know. Apparently Joe Biden got one today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Today or, or yesterday, whichever time your your time zone you're in, yeah, it, it's um, probably had heroin in it. Yeah, <laughs> that or just normal salt water. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're they're all at that kind of media stunt at the moment. There's loads of Bill Gates was on CNN during the week, and he got asked, you know, when it's your turn, will you make sure and you'll get it as well? And he said, of course, of course, I'll get it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he he will be. Yeah, there. right. Yeah, yeah, sure as well. All the celebrities. That's a PR stunt that's been done for many many years for different situations. Um, you know, let's yeah. coerce the public and brainwash thinking well if celebrities get it because like we would all trust celebrities because they're definitely trustworthy in their own sense um hollywood elites and all this the corruption that goes on there is is a whole nother podcast on its own um yeah. you know so they're using that pr stone unfortunately some people will fall for it um other people will will see through it straight away but they're in that such case of desperation that they have to get celebrities on and you know so-called big names be it biden and all these clowns to basically come on and say look it's okay to the world that if i'm getting it you know anybody else can get it so it's it's right. it's, it's insanity, and even in the UK alone, I'm sure they'll do do it elsewhere. Is they've rushed it through uh, under you know so-called emergency COVID uh, legislation and laws. Um, so technically, you know they've they've bypassed all the trials. Uh, like you said, like your dad said as well. I mean, it takes years and years and years for this to happen. And um, by definition, it couldn't be safe, even though they're saying it's safe. You've done no long-term trials. You don't even know if the fertility um, will have an impact on fertility or not. Um, you know, my personal thing is this is part of a whole depopulation program is, is what they're into anyway. So um, yeah. rushing this through, uh, and of course the MHRA here in England, which are the Medical Regulatories uh, Association here, they've, um, it's funny because they're, they're basically a front for Big Pharma, but they're acting as so-called independent regulatory uh, system that Pfizer, they were the last port of call they had to go through to say, are we okay? We can roll this out in the, you know, the population here in England. Like there wasn't the hope in hell that they were not going to pass it and all the vested interests. I mean, Bill Gates, of course, once again, has, has ties to him. He's invested about a million pound um, into the same regulator. And you have people from AstraZeneca and all these people on the board of the regulatory saying to Pfizer, is it okay if we can go through and put it out in the public? I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up, but the conflicts of interest are unbelievable um, here. And I've done yeah. one or two podcasts going into stuff like that as well. And of course, YouTube took it down straight away. And what was it doing? I was just pointing out the conflicts of interest. You're not even allowed to point out that now and their ties and their associations. Um, yeah. But... It, it's it's insanity and you know even we were talking before the show as well like you know even if the people do get it some people are saying i asked one or two people here as well locals why do you actually want to get it now leaving out all the agendas and the real notorious nefarious stuff that's actually behind this vaccine itself why do you want to get it and the vast majority have said to me because i want life to return to normal i just want it to be over and that's it one sentence it's not gonna be normal it's it's <laughs> as it's, not I, gonna yeah, it's not good it's gonna be far from normal it says and yeah. even under the mainstream narrative you still have to wear the mask. You still have to social distance. Nothing right. changes that way, it says. So I said, no, no, and, and it's, 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 it's absolute waste of time, it says. And they said you'd have to maybe get it every, you know, couple of months uh, under the situation. Because <laughs> but, it, it, you know, it's interesting the way the, the flu just disappeared all of a sudden. The flu was gone. So the flu went down. The COVID situation just went up. 
it, it's 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 insanity. Like they, like they've said here in England back in October the eighth, they said that um we're now going to merge the flu cases and deaths and numbers. And this is the government. We so we're going to merge the flu with the COVID situation. So we're not going to separate them anymore. So it's 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 insanity the way they're going on. You know, I mean, the definition of a, of a coronavirus death here is that anybody who is tested positive by a PCR test that, that we know doesn't work in the last 28 days. So two days later, I've, I've got the test, but two days later, I got killed by somebody ran me over down my death certificate, COVID-19. It, it's <laughs> uh, a, good, a good friend of mine, uh, his grandmother, God bless her, she passed away not so long ago mm. and she had um, uh, terminal cancer. Mm. And uh, her death certificate says COVID. And, you know, they're fighting it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and rightly so. Yeah, it's, it's just, yeah. It's, it's, it's the same with the back, back during the summer. There was a, it went viral at one stage. A guy had died on a motorbike accident and died in a motorbike accident. Yeah, went totally. down his, you see that, yeah. He went down his certificate as COVID-19. But afterwards, the story was the family were raging over it because in, under an insurance claim, they couldn't claim any insurance over because the insurance company said, no, it's void no. because of the COVID-19 situation. They were battling over this, knowing it was a motorbike accident, obviously, not got to a COVID-19. They're already stressed because, you know, you know, our family member had died. And this is the hell they were going through with insurance companies afterwards, trying to go backwards and forwards. But, uh, oh, yeah, you, you could talk about that um, scam all day long. But um, getting back to yourself, um, what was it like in, you know, uh, growing up in, in the Iraq, Iran situation and did growing up there were you very young at this time you know before you you finally moved to australia and then why australia above maybe any other country as well yeah well, i grew i was born into the iran iraq war so i'm you know from iraq and where the we're called the assyrian chaldeans which are the christians from northern iraq uh and when i was about seven years old my father had um he quite a well-educated man he received scholarships from five universities around the world and, uh, you know, in America, in London, uh, uh, where else, uh, Germany, we, we almost went to Germany. That was sort of, it, it got down to Germany and Australia and he chose Australia in particular, uh, for, for the lifestyle, you know, for his family, cause that was his main priority. So when I came to Australia, I was seven years old. I grew up in a, you know, beautiful part of uh, Queensland and, um, yeah, we, we were very blessed. Uh, but, but growing up in Iraq, it was, uh, it was quite a transition coming from Iraq to Australia because, you know, as a six-year-old, you had to know how to defend yourself. And, and I'm not talking push a kid back, like yeah. proper defend yourself. Uh, and I think in, in my first week in Australia, I got into a, a pretty bad fight, as in me doing all the bad stuff to the other fella, you know, bleeding him up and all that stuff. So it was a bit of a shock. Yeah. Everyone in, in second grade, and then yeah, my father told me, "Look, you can't do that here." Uh, it's a, it's a, so it took a bit of adjusting because it was such a rough and I suppose violent um, upbringing. Even though I had a lot of love and it was a, actually quite a good childhood, but it, it's a just it's a different world. You know, you we were told to not pick up pens off the ground because it could be a bomb. You know, you, these are things that you deal with when you're when a kid. You hear, you know, bombs going off, and that's just part of life. And, uh, stuff like that you see the odd uh, dead body things like that and that's again that's just part of life and um, you, you learn to uh, I think and I've got uh, relatives of mine uncles that have been through years of frontline battle as in you know that they'd, they'd be sh shooting machine guns for and then they'd run out of ammo and then they'd have to do hand-to-hand -hand combat 
and they did this for years on end so that you can imagine how much death and uh, violence they, they witnessed and, and that. But the interesting thing is none of these guys have got, um, and I'm not judging other people, but none of these, my family have got, you know, post-traumatic stress disorders. Uh, they don't have any, they're not in clinics, they're not in any form of stress. They're actually living very good lives in Australia mm. uh, because they, they let the past be the past and they, they just focus on what's in front of them. So I, I had, for me, I'm very blessed. I had that I had such great role models in terms of how to actually really deal with life and what life throws at you. Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask you was when you were saying about the fight in school and you moved to Australia, obviously no true fault of your own. That was the conditioning. You knew no better. That's what you were brought up in that environment 24-7. You walk outside your door, you're inside, you hear the yeah. bombs. It's, it's consistently going on. So you didn't know, and you're very young, you didn't know no better that you know every country under your child mind at a time is going to be the same <laughs> yeah. so how did how did you make that transition even at a young age you're saying you're around obviously a very loving and caring family moving to a new country how did you kind of isolate your mind did it take a while to you were 10 or 11 or 12 to kind of get that i suppose frustration anger or that kind of mental capacity out of yourself to say okay i'm in a new country there is no bombs there's no war going on here this is a complete different time zone now that i'm in as well how did that materialize over time well, I think, I mean, I, again, I was very blessed with good parents and um, I, I listened to my father. Mm -hmm. you know, I grew up very disciplined, you know, they're a strict household. And, uh, you know, when they told me you don't get into fights at school unless you, you get, you have to defend yourself. That's, that, that was, I only needed to be told once. Yeah. And, if, and if you do it again, then you're, you're the one who gets the belting at home. So I didn't want the belting. So it was, it was pretty straightforward for me that, that I had to straighten up not get into fights. And uh, I mean, as a young kid, you do, I think you assimilate quite quickly. It didn't take me that long. I learned the language within three, four months. I was speaking fluently because you do when you're, when you're seven years old or eight yeah. years old. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I was the odd one out, I think in terms of uh, the area that, because my father was, he got a scholarship to do his um, PhD and it was uh, one of the best universities in Australia. So it was quite a, it was a, uh, mainly Aussies and Anglo-Saxons there and you know here I am uh, you know with the darker features and uh, yeah it, it took a little while to I think be accepted as well but I was very active very good in sport blessed in that way so I think I became popular because of my uh, sporting achievements and people you know kids want you on their team so that that worked well for me. That, that uh, went, yeah, yeah, definitely a plus in that situation uh, especially you felt isolated to a certain extent moving to new country as well um yeah no that, that was a plus i know the for people listening or watching whatever the case is um you know i've never had anybody in the show that was firsthand growing up in that iraq iran war itself how you spoke a bit on it how does it how can you actually explain to people you know that i can't live through that seeing that seeing the stuff on tv and all that but a lot of that is say how will we say it's cut out a bit it's not actually you're not getting the full volume of footage that you would have had firsthand i understand that you're very young but your, mm. your father and stuff would have actually taught you so many stories. And do you still have relatives in Iraq um, at the moment or presently, you know? And has, has Iraq basically changed massively since you were young? Obviously, you've been following it all the way through in Australia. Or how have yeah. things kind of come to, to pass today as we, as we speak now? Iraq has changed from when we first came to Australia, which was in the 1980s, late 80s. It was, um, it was a superpower in a sense of the dollar value, you know, the one Iraqi dinar was four American dollars. So at the time it had the strongest dollar in the, in the world. Uh, and now one, one American dollar is around a thousand 
Iraqi dinars. So it's, it's yeah. turned into a third world country. So since the Iran-Iraq war finished, uh, not so long after they had the Gulf War, you know, Saddam Hussein went into Kuwait. And since then, they pretty much put sanctions on Iraq. Uh, so in my lifetime, Iraq, my whole lifetime, it's just been, I think I'm, at the, the time that I've been on this earth, Iraq's been in some sort of war. Um, and to this day, you know, right now, it's just, it's, it's a shadow of what country it used to be. Mm. Uh, and in particular for uh, my culture. So behind me, there is uh, a prayer that's written in Aramaic. So in my culture, people who speak Aramaic, which is the old language, which is what Jesus spoke, and you know, a bit older than that. Uh, so we're the indigenous people of Iraq. So Iraq is known worldwide as a Islamic country, when in actual fact, we are, it was a Christian country well before that, you know, Islam came in 1500 years ago, uh, a massive genocide happened then. And unfortunately, that genocide pretty much repeated itself in 2014, when ISIS came through. Um, and, uh, and we went from recently 2.2 million Christians in Iraq to now only 200,000. Uh, just, wow. just over the last six or seven years. Um, and again, and I think I've got, and I could talk about my relatives, for example, my father, his brothers, he's got three brothers, so my uncles, and they're all been through, uh, you know, horrific things in war. And one thing that it taught me, obviously, is one, how to deal with life, how to, how to actually draw inspiration from that and not take myself too seriously. Uh, but also one thing it taught me was the corruption, not just in the governments, but in the media. Mm. You know, so as a teenager, when I found out all the corruption that was going on in the Middle East, and you know, worldwide, I was quite an angry kid because I thought, well, the world is so, you know, um, and uh, it was it was really tough to deal with. I thought I've got to do something about this, you know, and I was so angry because I, I felt powerless. Um, but yeah, the the stuff that the media has portrayed, for example, about Iraq, is is so far from you know. There, there's so many things, but uh, yeah, it just taught me at a young age to never really trust the media, I suppose, and the governments. You know, so when when the COVID thing happened, um, I think at first I believed it. I thought, okay, it could be a pandemic. Well, let's see. But I always had that, I suppose, suspicion about it. And then when things didn't start to add up, I go, okay, well, it's another scam. Well, exactly. What, what they were portraying in the media to what you were seeing in reality around you was completely two different worlds. Well, I'll give you an example um, just of how media play things. If we talk religion just for a minute, if you don't yeah. mind. Yeah, sure. Um, so my uncle, he's the one who actually did that script behind me. So he's the Archbishop of the Christian Iraqis in Australia and New Zealand currently. He's based in Sydney. Now, the reason why he's here is because in 2014, he lost his entire diocese. He had 14 churches that was looking after Northern Iraq. All those churches were decimated, including the church that I was christened in. Um, and uh, you're talking thousands of uh, people in church being uh, gunned down, blown up, uh, all this, um, three, uh, almost 400,000 people were displaced from their homes. So in 2014, that happened. So you didn't, no one heard about this in the media. Like a, a full blown genocide was happening in 2014 while Obama was in administration, but you couldn't, you couldn't find any media outlets that were reporting it, except for Sean Hannity, he was the only one 
on Fox News that actually reported it. And he he spoke to a lady that I know in the States who's in Detroit. And that's how she was, she was able to get to him. Uh, and her name's Noreen. And she was standing up for the Christian Iraqis. But a full-blown genocide happened. So ISIS went into the city of Mosul where I was born. They said to everyone that was born, they actually painted the letter N in Arabic, which stands for Nazarene, so Christians. So all the Christians had that on their uh, fences. So when people walk around, okay, that's a Christian, that's a Christian. So anyone who had that on their fence had the option to either convert to Islam, die by the sword, or leave your home just with your clothes and escape. So this, again, this, um, and I'm telling this happened six years ago in 2014. So two years ago, a mosque uh, was broken into and unfortunately some idiot went in and gunned down i think it was around 49 muslims now that made worldwide news hmm. that was everywhere people in the states know about that people in europe know about that everybody knows about that but yet no one knows what happened in iraq where thousands of people i saw videos like, unfortunately my uncles that sent me where people were kneeling down and being beheaded with a sword with a machete i saw all this and it was killing me inside, breaking my heart. And this was going on and again, no one was talking about it. So back then in, well, in 2014, I started going to different places, different churches, just to raise awareness, raise money so that maybe we could send it over there to help. Cause I'm talking about 300,000 people that are homeless in Northern part of Iraq. Uh, and that, that, are, that, are, that are in that situation just because they're Christians. But again, the media. The media, the media say nothing about it. So that, that's part of the reason why I started my podcast was just to, I suppose, give those, give our people a voice. And why yeah. do you believe there's so much of that cover up so one sided that that everybody knows about a situation that happened in New Zealand, but yeah. yet, like you, like you said, um, nobody pretty much uh, speaks about that situation. There's no worldwide news that, that would have been about that. Is there any particular reason that comes to your mind why that would be, why the media would portray one side above the other? You know, I mean, it's just, again, it's the, the media and the governments have particular agendas mm. that they want people to follow. Um, you know, for example, there's a term in Australia, and I think it's worldwide, and this is, this is how insulting it is. So going back to the story I told you about, so I'm talking about thousands of people being massacred for the for the sake of being Christian by Islamic extremists. And there's a term that was out back then called Islamophobia. Mm. Again, just think, just think about how insulting that was for us. So we're the ones being murdered, raped, and the things that I spoke about, and not on top of that, there was children being sold as slaves to these people, to Islamic people of ISIS. That's all happened. And a lot of these kids are still not rescued to this day, right? Being used as sex slaves. And, uh, and we've been through genocide after genocide and our whole culture has almost been decimated by the Islamic people. And there's a term called Islamophobia out there. Like that's just where, that's where this, the insults go to different levels, right? And uh, I spoke about this on Roy's uh, uh, broadcast. Um, it's just whatever the agendas that the government have, that's what they'll use. So, you know, the Obama administration, again, it's documented, you can look this up, that he funded the rebels to take out um, the Syrian president, Assad. Uh, now, these rebels turn into ISIS, conveniently. 
uh, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. That's what ISIS stands for. So they, they end up doing what they did. They created, they did a whole genocide, uh, but the Obama and Biden administration were nowhere to be seen when they started massacring, butchering people and, and doing, their, doing their genocide. And my uncle uh, received the call from the Prince of ISIS. And that's how I know about the details of uh, what they wanted to do because he got the call and, and he was told to convey this message to his people. Um, yeah, and, and they stole obviously a lot of things, a, lo a lot of um, ancient history of ours, you know, because the Assyrian, if you look up the Assyrian people um, and the people that have spoken Aramaic, you'll, you'll, you'll see the history is, is goes thousands of years. Uh, sorry. It's thousands of years old. And, uh, and there was a lot of things they stole after the um, that genocide that happened in 2014, and, and all these tunnels were dug up, and plane load after plane load left Iraq, uh, and and there were U.S. U.S. Uh, airplanes. So, yeah, it's obviously they've got. I don't know exactly what it is, to be honest, but there's obviously the reason. There are reasons why they do what they do, because yes. they, and for in my opinion, they they create the Islamophobia. They, they make them out to be the victim when they're not the victim, believe me. If you, if you look around the world and see what's going on to in places like Nigeria, where again, Christians are just getting massacred for, this, for, the, for the point of being Christians. And in Iraq, like we have been in Syria, um, they're not the victim. You know, we know who the victims are there, but they make it out that these guys are the victims and we shouldn't be fearing them uh, so that they can cover up all the stuff that they're doing, which, benefits these governments of course and then for the sake of oil for the sake of technology for the sake of whatever they want to steal yeah greed again of course um and this is under the obama administration which a lot of people uh, even including people in ireland know as well you know so this obama's a great man and they all say he's well spoken he's great and i'm kind of going if you actually do your own research i'm just talking just that little extra couple of minutes uh, I know you've uh, quite a bit to say on Obama as well, um, and be it Biden as well that was backed in, and now the possibility of Biden getting in—I mean, it's it's turning into a circus at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that that. I mean, there's a guy. Oh, his name escapes me. No, he's on Twitter. He's on social media. He's quite active now. But he was part of the Obama uh, Secret Service, and and if you look at his Twitter every day, he tweets. It's December 21st. Obama was the most corrupt president in US history. That, that was a guy in his secret service. You know, he, he has more blood on his hands than many uh, presidents of the US. Mm, himself and Bush. <laughs> yeah, him and George W. Bush. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I want to talk These are things that, that sorry, uh, Chris, these are things yeah. that blow me away is that the, the, re the fact that people just don't question things. You know, I mean, everybody knows and everyone that's been around on this planet longer than 20, I suppose, five years knows that George W. Bush went into Iraq to take out Saddam Hussein on the premise of weapons of mass destruction. They never found those weapons of mass destruction. destruction and uh, George Bush has never standed, stood trial for that. You know, hundreds of thousands of people were killed. Iraq was turned into a third world country. Um, our culture was pretty much almost decimated, uh, but there's no accountability and no one, no one questions that. Yeah, it's, 
it is mind-boggling as to, you know, these people are walking around. Same with the Clintons. I mean, the Bushes, you, you could go back through the many decades of people and presidents and so-called people in power, the deep state. The list goes on and on and on. It's endless. And yet they're walking around with their millions and billions um, in their bank accounts. And the debt and atrocities that they've caused worldwide. I mean, you've Haiti with the Clintons, the atrocities that they've done and left behind them. The, all the prostitution yeah. they pimped out people I mean the list goes on and on and on I feel sorry for those Haitian people over there currently at the moment the disaster that's still that's still going on for them um, but uh, what I want to talk a small bit about is the the present Pope I know you're not a fan of him <laughs> um, to say the least yeah, yeah by your expression alone yeah <laughs> uh, what, what do you want to say about the, the present Pope? And just to get a small bit into, because um, obviously there's good sides, there's bad sides of, you know, churches and, and all that as well. But the Vatican, the way I've seen, I've done quite a bit of research in the Vatican over the years as well, be it the Vatican Bank, the corruption is in the Vatican Bank. It, it's, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Not many people talk about the Vatican Bank. Even, even Catholic people I know, they, don't mean, they might, might mention the Vatican, but they don't go into the Vatican Bank itself. And I'm kind of going, just take the extra five or 10 minutes, do a small bit of research, and you will see um, it's, it's pretty much mainstream as well. It's not as, as if it's hidden beside some secret society or something that you have to actually really dig and dig. It's, it's pretty evident. It's pretty obvious where it is. And the corruption that's going on is unbelievable. It's pretty, it's the biggest that I know of, the biggest money laundering institute um, worldwide. And it's just like the Vatican itself is a massive, you can say an evil institution, but it's evil people that are in power trying to push out all the good people that are around it as well and make it their own inside. And that's been done over some time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the um, really, really unfortunate thing is that there is evil uh, that's infiltrated the church over the years. Um, what I will say about the Pope is that uh, his, and I'll be kind here, I think, his, what he's standing up for is very, it's, it's conflicting. You know, he's, he's done things like support Joe Biden and, uh, and, and, and accepted them. So as an, as an example, uh, Joe Biden is a stand up for pro, pro-choice, you know, which supports abortion, right? Uh, the opposite of pro-life, uh, that's, that doesn't go with the church. You know, that's, that's just one thing. And look, I, I won't, I think the best thing that I would recommend people do is look up the letters from Archbishop Vigano. Uh, no one can articulate, articulate it better than himself in terms of the stance, and I agree with this man 100%, the stance that he has on bishops in America, but also the Vatican and what's going on with the Pope, because uh, he, he's done a very, very brave thing and he's called them out, mm. uh, all of them. He's called out the bishops, he's called out the, the Pope for what they're doing. And uh, yeah, it's, it's what's, what's going on is uh, beyond disgraceful. Yeah, I mean, you had back in 2015, I believe it was, you had Obama and the Pope signing off on, you know, Agenda 2030, I mean, which is a whole new other podcast and subject into that, but it's, which is it's yeah. not good for humanity anyway, basically, to put it in a nutshell and yeah, um, where they want to lead us. And you have the likes of these people in power, um, you know, so-called big religious leaders that have billions of followers worldwide and are looking up to this this guy. But the stuff that he's signing and doing and uh, and what you're saying as well, I mean, it's 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 unbelievable the scale of the corruption. Even going back into recent times, back in about seven or eight years ago, even Ratzinger, like a lot of people, the stories that came out about Ratzinger at the time thought, Oh, he's old and he's getting sick and he just needs to you know step one side and that's kind of it i think he was the only one in in history of peace times that um had had to step down um in in the catholic right. in, the, in the in the vatican itself 
Mm. And now he's a fugitive inside uh, the Vatican walls. And not many people know that. Um, and, you know, the Spanish authorities have a warrant out for his arrest that, I, that I'm aware of, um, that if he does flee it for whatever reason, that he's going to, there's a warrant simply out for arrest and he's been done for um, uh, crimes against humanity. And uh, child trafficking was one of them. So, this, you know, this is the, the deceivement that goes on through, through the, the Vatican time when you go back into loads of stuff, um, be the ninth circle inside. Um, it, it goes, there's loads of stuff you get into where the corruption is rife inside it. And the vast yeah. majority of people are just kind of going around, kneeling down, doing their praying every day. And if you're so dedicated to, you know, Catholicism and be the Vatican and, and praying and all that kind of stuff, why don't you go that step further? Why don't you actually, you know, really dig deep? I mean, both of us are fascinated and really striving to get the truth out to people. And we have a passion for getting the truth out there. Nothing but the bloody truth, if you want to put it that way, no matter what scale it is. And some people don't like hearing the dark sides of it. But unfortunately, you have to hear the dark side to know what it is. There's no point in just saying, oh, everything's good, everything's good. Don't be talking about that about the church. We don't want to hear that. I, um, I found it myself. It's just, it's not right. Many, many people know and who are, you know, who are true Catholics and true Christians know that we're in a spiritual warfare at the moment. Mm. It's uh, and it's never been more um, apparent, and it's never been more clear that we're in a spiritual warfare right now. Mm. Um, uh, and it's un it's it's unfortunate is a light word to to explain what's happening within the church, but there's a lot of evil um, that's like I said that's infiltrated the church. And uh, I mean, sorry, one other point I'll quick make quickly in terms of uh, church church leaders and and anyone that supports. Uh, you know, even the vaccine, for example, is is ridiculous because majority uh, vaccine have aborted fetal cells in it. I mean that that alone. I mean, my uncle was on a on a panel who, who's the archbishop, and he was asked, "What would you recommend to your community congregation if the, the fact that um, the vaccine had aborted fetal cells in it?" And he said, "Well, of course, we would not take it." And, and uh, you know, we Christians have been martyrs before and we'll be martyrs again if that is the case. Mm. You know, so the, this is what hurts me so much is in terms of coming from Iraq and knowing what the church was actually about there and then seeing what uh, has happened in the Western world and how um, there's been so much corruption and pedophilia all this come through the church. It's just obviously for me, again, if you take a step back, you know that they're trying to destroy the church from within. Mm. Uh, because the, the the big push to move forward in the world is, is to have a godless society to have people that are not connected with a higher being to, to that are not connected with God so that they can continue and that's what the media will continue to push is the pedophilia, the corruption, this and, and all that stuff which look is 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 there but there's there's a much bigger plan and that's why you know there's things called the deep state you know these there's a bit much bigger purpose and a plan than just what you see at face value. Yeah. And that's, that's what I talk about when there's a spiritual warfare going on. Yeah. And, no, and I have hundred percent faith that good will prevail. I, yeah, I, no, I, have, yeah. I have zero doubt about that. No. And I feel the very same as well. While it's, you know, we can talk about being very dark and gloomy, negative times all around us and people are going around depression, not knowing what's going on. I think me and you are pretty, we, we know exactly what's going on. I, I've got a lot into agendas and uh, my own podcast as well. And what is actually really behind the scenes and what's pushing this narrative to where we are. And it, it's, it, the backbone is very much satanic is, is what um, is behind a lot yeah. of it. Um, and a lot of people don't want to talk about a situation. They just think, Oh no, that's just nearly a made up sort of situation. It's just bad and evil, but it doesn't really exist. 
I kind of go, no, it does. <laughs> it's there yeah. and it's shown its head. It's entered the room in 2020 now more than ever. No, I've, I've met people that were um, former uh, part of satanic cults and, and that and I've seen uh, people practice, uh, you know, Satanism. Uh, my grandfather was, uh, he, it's well known in our town that he was, there was a group of people who were, um, you know, doing a satanic ceremony and they were actually putting knives into their chests like this because you know, they were in a, in that zone. Mm. And my graf- grandfather, God bless him, you know, he's passed on now, but he was a very faithful man. He had, you know, 100% faith in God and zero, zero fear. He went right into the middle of the circle and he said, give, give me one of those knives and let me stab you with it. And they ran for the hills, you know, because, because a man of faith equals thousands of, you know, like good is always stronger than evil. Mm. And, and people don't want to talk, like you said, about evil, but uh, you can definitely fight evil with, with, uh, with faith. Yeah, and we're definitely in a interesting times, but I think I feel very positive. I don't go around in my head hanging and kind of going, oh, what will I do tomorrow? It's depressed, it's rest. I'm thinking this is actually a massive, great opportunity for humanity worldwide on a global scale, that this is, this is the great awakening. We have a choice now. We have a choice to forever enslave ourselves or basically get out of this um, crap that these governments, New World Order, whatever terms and agendas you want to put it under, that they want to basically lead us down um, this path at the moment of destruction for uh, not a good place where humanity wants to, should be going. Um, and unfortunately, people are just not awake to, to see the forest and the trees at the moment. But all we can do is just keep uh, banging out information and keep uh, yeah. making people kind of think for themselves and open their mind, which has been lost throughout 2020. Well, you know, Donald Trump has been talking about, he, he's been saying a term that, um, I think gets overused, which is drain the swamp, and uh, and and it's exposing the swamp. And for me, in my heart, like I said, I've I've seen a lot of corruption in the world. I honestly believe 100% in my heart that we we are in a it's a great time to be alive. As much as we're seeing all the the, the only difference between what I'm seeing right now in the world and uh, rewind six years ago when I was talking about ISIS and rewind another 15 years ago when a lot of the stuff was happening and I was finding about the true corruption of the world. And before that, the only difference now is, is that it's, it's a lot, it's come to the surface. Mm. It's always been there. Yeah. And that's, that's the part that I had a challenge with, like I said, six years ago, or 20 years ago is when I talked to people about these things, they just didn't want to hear about it. Mm. Whereas now it's all come to the surface. So for me, I'm quite excited because I know that when it comes to the surface like this, it's, it's going to, it's going to come to a head yeah. and, and sooner or later, whether it's 2021 or the year after or the next few months, it's all the evil is going to get exposed. Yeah. yeah. My, in my, again, and I've, I've had dreams about this. I can just see that one by one, they'll just be exposed and uh, people will be awakened for real. Even the media will have their day. I, I have hundred percent faith that the mainstream media will have their day and they'll be all exposed for their corruption. Yeah, they'll have to be in timing because all this could have stopped months and months ago if the, you know, the so-called real journalists, because the day journalists, um, they're pathetic. They're not even, they don't exist anymore. They're just regurgitators of information and whatever other mainstream narrative is pushing as well, be it the BBC yeah. here in England. They're just a, a propaganda mouthpiece for the government. That's all. So they're not there for the people. They're pushing out whatever the government and, you know, were led by the so-called science. Yeah, the bought up science by Big Pharma and Bill Gates in the background that are conflicts of interest that's so on and so on. So you're not truly there for the people, but they, all the media could 
they could stop an end of war. That's the way the media has gone. If they had come out with this months and months ago and said, look, this is a whole scam. This is the way the situation is. This is actually the real story. And stop censoring tens of thousands of doctors, nurses, scientists, people trying to talk out lobby. Why are they all of a sudden, you know, 40, 50 year career, maybe some of these people had individually, and all of a sudden, boom, they're gone. Their career is not worth anything anymore just because they didn't speak along the narrative of WHO. <laughs> Another corrupt institution. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's another subject. <laughs> it is another subject for another day, yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, and it's interesting, uh, you mentioned there briefly a few minutes back about um, the vaccine and stuff as well. You know, um, it's interesting, the last, I think it's last week or two weeks that the, was the Chief Justice over in South Africa, um, massively into his Christian um, roots and faith and all that as well. And he's come out, he's quite a big power there, and he's come out and he said that uh, he, he considered a, the, he compared the vaccine, I should say, to being satanic. <laughs> so uh, as a wow, somebody in his power is actually speaking truth um, yep. for, for the change. And of course, he's getting well, condemned over it because, you know, people are saying... Well, there's, there's a part in the Bible that talks about everyone will be marked, you know, with the, with the mark of Satan. Yeah, that and mark of the beast, he, yeah. That's what, that's what he's referring to. Mm. Yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of the things that are happening in the world, uh, whether people want to hear it or not, are things that have been written in the Bible. Um, and it's almost, if you look at the story of Moses, it's pretty much replaying itself. Mm. And uh, Revelations itself is a very interesting uh, chapter and all that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, all just a coincidence, of course. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> no, well, uh, I'd just like to finish on, um, was there anything else actually I wanted to get you to speak? I know at one stage you wanted to talk about the actual how the faith or how the churches, the comparison to today, be it in the West and compared to what it was back then, how, the, how yeah. that uh, materialized? Yeah, how was, how, how was the contrast? Well, this is the thing, Chris, that, again, was a very sad experience for me coming from Iraq and, again, knowing what church is about and it's in its purest form. And, and uh, you can't say it's perfect, but for me, what I knew of church in Iraq and when I came to Australia... It was such a contrast because the church there was the heart of the town. Everyone actually, people didn't go to church like a chore and just to tick it off for the week. Mm. Oh, yeah, I've done my, my Jews. You know, there we yeah. go. I've done, I've done my Sunday mass. People went to church to rejoice, to commune, you know, to, to, to pray, to feel the Holy Spirit, to, to do all the things and to be uplifted. Uh, and uh, it was almost like an addictive feeling because the, the level of community there at the church was just, it was such a happy place. And I remember as a kid, everything was around the church. You went to activities, you went to sport, you went to things, and it had such an impact on the community. It was really the heart of the town. It, it's referred to as the mother of uh, the community, the church there. That, that's how it's known. So think about that, what I experienced. And I felt so uplifted every time I went to church because of the people and, and the music and the, 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 um, the choirs. And then I go, then I go to Brisbane, Queensland, Australia at eight years old. And I sit in the church and you could, you could hear mice walk across the floor. And then there's an old lady in the corner going, loo, 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 loo. and I'm like, what is this? What is this about? And there's an old priest standing at the front going like he could barely open his mouth and he had this he had this whistle so he'd be like peace and the grace of the lord 
<laughs> and I used yeah. to, I used to impersonate him, and my mum used to, you know, give me a yeah, smack of the hand. Because <laughs> that's all I got. So I went from that to that. You know, it was, it was so, it was crazy for me as a child. And I know my parents would have experienced the same thing, and they've been longing for that experience of what they knew of church as well. You know, they they did their thing because they're good Catholics, good Christians, and still went to the Australian churches. And then, you know, we go from there and the feeling that I got, and I, I, again, I, was, I don't care because I always speak my mind. Mm. The feeling that I got from talking to the priests here was uneasy, awkward. The feeling that I got when I talked to priests in Iraq was uh, you, you felt like you were speaking to someone who was actually holy and, and someone that, could just lift your spirit up, mm. you know, uh, it's again, like I can't, I could go on and on about what a contrast it was for us. And every time I met an Australian priest, we'd sit there and it just, I just feel awkward, you know, they're just socially awkward and it's just this weird feeling. Is that you know, still the same? That hasn't changed since you, since eight years of age, then when you came to Oz? Oh, uh, mate, I mean, I, I've met the odd priest or two that, I mean, I remember one one particular priest, and for some reason they moved him. And he 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 was, and you could just see he was just a man of pure faith, like you know, just vibrated, uh, like the his vibration was just on such a high frequency, um, mm. and he was just rejoicing and telling people about God, the church, and and everything. And unfortunately, he got moved to preach in military. I mean, uh, and he he did, and again he made such an impact on that church. I remember all the youth all, all of a sudden started going to the church and getting involved and he had the band going and all that stuff. And I felt like, my God, am I close to experiencing what I knew of church? And then he left and they brought another old fellow in and energy just dropped. All the youth were gone within two or three weeks and we're back to an old lady singing messed up opera, uh, opera in the back. Uh, you know, missing the tunes and um, just again, just flat, almost flatlining. It's interesting just touching that point because when I grew up in Ireland, being a massively Catholic and all that as well, my parents would often, I wouldn't take too much notice of priests or who was changing or who was in the town at the time or what was going on that way, but they had noted and they'd know that um, you get one particular priest, very good, everybody loved him in the community, he was laughing and all having a crack and he'd be having a drink and he'd be, you know, what one of the, his collar be swung off to one side and he wouldn't be too, you know, he'd just be one of, one of the lads for want of a better word. And he was creating yeah. great numbers. You could see the church were filling up, everyone was going fantastic. And for whatever reason, it's almost he was going too good. All of a sudden, then he'd be shipped out with her, gone, moved. And then everything, the, the pews would get less and less and less. People in the pews, as she says, get less and less. And people are talking in a small community of a you know, population, maybe one similar town of a few thousand people or a small village. And all of a sudden, he's moved far, far away that people even said, if he's not living too far away or moved to another church, we'll actually go to where he is. They're kind of following where the priest went because they felt that safety, that comfort, that kind of you know, um, connection. And when these new, newer priests came in, it was like they'd done it on purpose because they've done that. As soon as that, a new priest would start making a good impact, as quick as possible, they try and just drive him out of the area again and move him on to somewhere else. So I could never really, I could never give too much time thinking about it, but I could never really figure out or the parents couldn't either. So well, what, if something is good and it, you know, it's not broken, why are you trying to fix it and try and send them off somewhere else? Leave them in the community he's being liked and loved in. Well, you can just imagine from what I've explained, my horror when, you know, we started hearing about pedophiles and all this. I mean, what we knew of church and what we knew of priests, and bishops and and all that 
and to hear that happening in Australia and different parts of the world. At first, I didn't believe it. I just thought, oh, it's another, it's another um, scam to try to destroy the church. You know, they, I come from a country where it was persecuted. They tried everything they could to destroy us, to destroy the church. So this is just another one of them. That's what I thought it was. And then more and more and more evidence. And then you think, my God, it's actually true. Mm. Like it's, 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 it's be, it was beyond shocking. Uh, for it was one of the most devastating things that I, that I heard as a, as a youngster growing up that, and to, to come to face the reality that that was actually happening, that sickening stuff yeah. was actually happening to, to what should be the most safest place in the world for children. Mm. Yeah. It, it was, was, was quite the opposite. I mean, we've only, like, you know, we've only touched on the, I said, the media and what's going on, we know over the past couple of decades with pedophilia coming out in, you know, the various countries across the world through, through the churches. I mean, I believe, like, there's still so, so much of it yet to come out. that it's it's But they're, they're squashing it as, as much as they can. Um, it's they're right trying to quench as many fires as possible in as quick a time as possible. You look at Italy, for example, you know, another Catholic place as well. The mafia have been notorious time and time again. There's been laws and documentation that the Vatican has paid them millions per year for the mafia to go out and silence people. I'm not saying they weren't out and killed certain people. There's a lot of people being went out calling to people's doors that might be taking uh, cases against these people in court for pedophilia and so on and so on. And they basically got told to basically shut up by the mafia and don't bring it any further. And the Vatican has been time and time again by various um, good source documents have come out and said that no, we the, the mafia himself even on other occasions have come out and said that they said we've been paid millions by the by the Vatican itself. They said to basically silence people. Now that was just their, their own words that they put on it. And a lot of these cases they said don't even make it to um they don't make it to they don't make it to trial, they don't make it to the media. It's you know it's yeah. insanity. I mean from my own ex- experience with talking to people as well in the Catholic Church um, in Ireland and stuff, you know People, the basket goes around on a Sunday night, Saturday morning, depending on what, what day you, you go to church. And people are throwing money into that, that basket left, right and centre. I have to say, over the years, it's got less and less from what I'm hearing. I don't be in churches. But, um, they, and they said most of them, it says is 90% of it. Like you think that's all going back into the community and supporting their own local area. But on average, about 90% of that is going back to the Vatican. Um, for doing all sorts of nefarious things that go on uh, over there as well. So it, it's, it's criminality. People say, like, you know, do your own thing, but do not be funding um, this organization as, as to what it is that way. So, yeah, yeah, in, in yeah interesting no, it's, times. It's a crazy thing, man. Like, um, but like I said, there is, and I agree with you 100% about, because I know of this corruption, but um, at the same time, I, I do want people to also recognize the fact that uh, there is a big agenda behind it. I mean, the, the Australian media, for example, have no hesitation in slamming uh, any any priest or anything, even if they're not guilty. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of them are guilty, but they have no hesitation in promoting that to the media because, like I said, I think the ultimate goal for um, people that are infiltrated the church and the media is, is to turn, and you know this in, just by looking at America and the Democrats, they really want to create a god- godless society. They, they do not want people. And I mean, California right now, you can go to a strip club, but you can't go to a church. No, so <laughs> again, that's another another story. Yeah, that, yeah, it's it's the know, insanity goes goes a notch higher all the time. There's there's layers in terms of you know the agenda. Yeah, yeah. even even with the stuff at the moment, it's it's like you know we'll we leave open McDonald's, but we'll close the gym. Uh, you know, and and the liquor store they can stay open as well. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, we'll we'll just do what the government say because we trust them. Of course, of course, we'll just we'll just uh, comply to this fascism, no problem at all. We we all know how fascism and communism uh, worked out in the past. <laughs> but um, no, Zahi, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And um, before you before you leave, I just want to just tell the viewers um, your own podcast and what uh, what's about and basically, well, what are they going to if they tune into it? What are they going to find on it? Yeah, it's uh, stuff that I. Like I said, the main purpose of my podcast is to preserve our culture, to celebrate our culture. Um, you know, I've got many people from within our community who are quite successful, uh, not so religious leaders, but people telling their stories of, a lot of them are inspirational stories of, you know, escaping from death and also uh, making success in a new country as immigrants. So there's some quite good inspiration of that. And week to week, I have different people um, from, from different walks of life come in and every now and then I'll have my uncle who's the Archbishop feature as well on the podcast and we ask him some uh, sometimes tough questions and also uh, you know fun questions that people in particular our youth want to hear from him so yeah, yeah the majority of our episodes are on YouTube and it's just on uh, MCC podcast perfect I'll put all the details in the description below appreciate it buddy and it's an honor thank you so much for having me on your show no problem thank you Zahi um, you've been watching uh, Mind Wars. Please like, share and subscribe. It really does help with getting the message out there. Until next time, see you then. <laughs>